Welcome to the second episode of Dear Adam Silver, a show about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and I am a visual artist and longtime basketball fan. Today, I will be interviewing R. Eric McMaster, an artist based in Austin who is professor of practice and studio art at the University of Texas. Eric and I are going to discuss some of the artwork he has made in relation to sports, performance, and the human body. So here we go. Hi, Eric. I hope you're doing well. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I love to um, speak with people who who find uh, interests or it, that kind of overlap with my own as far as the, the sports and, and art go. Um, and your work is so so different from mine. I really um, appreciate Would Well, I was wanting to to sort of speak more about where you're where you're coming from with that. Um, but I just wanted to start out with just, I'm wondering how, if you do have an interest in, if you're a fan, I'm wondering if you're a fan of sports, to be honest. I mean, a, a big part of how I approach basketball is because I love watching basketball. I like buying jerseys. I like, you know, uh, sort of um, living and dying with a team. I think that's the excite can be the exciting part about sports for me. And I'm just wondering how you approach uh sports yourself yeah well uh i'm probably not as big of a fan of some sports as as you are uh (laughs) but i uh i definitely am a fan i am i love uh playoff hockey i think i think it is one of the best um kind of situations you can drum up in a in a sport sporting event um you know like any (laughs) any situation where you have to like deal with the guy like getting his jaw wired shut because he broke it the night before and he's playing the next day like that there's a lot of excitement <laughs> to that right right that's um, um yeah that's something that's <laughs> has a, adds another layer of intensity that maybe not every other sport holds yeah yeah right and and so with, you know with that intensity also there's like lots of like side dramas and things like that that are really fun to watch but um so I watch I watch hockey during the playoffs uh which I know that makes things sound bad but I I Luckily for me, I, I root for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they're in the playoffs like every year. So yeah. and it's the only time I can get televised games where I live. So, you know, it makes sense. Um, right. Uh, I watch watch football a little bit. I, I, I should tell you that I'm, I'm from an area north of Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, so I do follow some Pittsburgh teams. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then I watch, uh, you know, like World Cup soccer. So... So I guess the theme running through a lot of this is that I kind of watch at the big moments, uh, but not necessarily the day-to-day moments in sports. <laughs> okay, so it's, there is that the the intensity of um, maybe getting eliminated, or the, when the stakes are higher, that that you find is much more compelling or interesting than just a regular season game. Yes, yes, and, and that's that's for me as as individual Eric, rather than. Um, say, uh, uh, artist Eric. Uh, artist Eric likes to watch sports, uh, especially sports that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to like kind of like pick those apart. But that kind of watching is a very different um, setup. It's like, uh, have you ever known anybody that's gone through film school 
And if you ever watch a movie with them, they kind of ruin the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I also think sometimes uh, I can do that with some, uh, I can do that for my mom, at least with some, um, <laughs> some museum shows of photographs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, so uh, that, that type of watching is a little different. But yeah, uh, you know, you get, get the idea. I, you know, I watch, I watch the big moments. That's when I'm, I'm, in, I'm in it to watch it. Yeah. And then there's other moments where I'm in it to analyze it in a way. And what yeah. a, what sort of a, about analyzing it, when, or when did you start analyzing sports in order to then sort of translate them and, and make work about them? Um, well, uh, let's see. So I, I was in grad school, oh my goodness, um, what, like 14 years ago maybe is when I started grad school. Okay. Um, and... Uh, when I went to grad school, I was really interested in the disconnect between um, uh, something that existed and then something like the way that something would exist, like a behavior would exist, and then the way that that behavior would be changed to fit into, say, society, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, there's certain rules to society. Uh, you know, you can't just go up and, and hit someone even though you're mad at them, right? Like, like so there's this, like, initial kind of there might, there may be this initial kind of um, uh, sense of anger, right? And and one of the best ways to resolve that would be to get into a fight. But that's something that people just generally don't do, you know, for whatever reason. But right. mostly because like that it's not accepted. Right? Yeah. Like, um, so I'm interested in, in moments like that. So trying to find moments where people just weren't being genuine in the way that they were reacting, right? Um, and uh, so while I was thinking about that line of thought, I also uh, joined a field hockey team, a co-ed field hockey team. And um, I joined the team, and my coach knew I was brand new to it. And so this um, is in played. grad school that you joined the team? Yeah. And it's like intramural? Yeah. yeah well, it, no, it was, like a, it was like a kind of a rec league. Okay. Uh, like we would, we would travel to play, but it was it was more or less rec league. It was pretty low stakes. Yeah. Um, but it was fun, you know, and it was it was um, it was fun. It, it was a way to actually get in shape, which was a, a good thing at the time, and and also a good release from grad school. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, um, so anyhow, I, I joined this thing. My coach is very forgiving of all my fouls, right? Like because I was learning the sport and uh, played for about three months, and then went to a tournament. And um, played in my first game, and, and my role on the team was to be a striker, which is, is you know, basically I did nothing else but shoot the ball. Okay. Um, and uh, and I kept on getting called for rule infractions. And, you know, the first call I was like, okay, I don't really know what I did there, but that's cool. But then, like, five minutes later, you get called again. Yeah. And this repeated. And I found myself, like, getting to a point where it's like I was, like I was more or less – slumping my shoulders and being like, what, like, what do I do? Like, I don't understand what to do here. And there's this like real pause in the way that I was playing that I just hadn't, it was a long time since I had experienced something like that. Um, where, where your behavior is like changed so much by something that you might not even know why, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like you, you hear a whistle, but you don't actually know what, what's going on. And it was so bad that like I did eventually score a goal. Uh, and I didn't even celebrate because I just assumed it would be called back, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was getting so used. And, and that was such a powerful experience that I was like, 
like, holy smokes, like, this is what I'm talking about. I need to, like, I need to dive into this. I need to kind of investigate this further, you know. So I, so from that point, I kind of uh, started doing pieces that explored, uh, at first, my role in, in, in like, sporting activities in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then later it branched into kind of, like, the bigger... Um, things that I that I do now that involve like trained athletes and and me uh, kind of recontextualizing how they act. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I just was um, I was thinking that as someone, so I really love basketball, and when I watch hockey, I'm like, this is such a ruleless game. <laughs> like, what's going on here? It's a mess. You know, like you never know where the puck is. I mean, this is ice hockey, but I just, it's so hard for me to tell what's going on. It seems like there's no rules. People can, you know, get in fights to some extent. It just seems so lawless, whereas basketball seems so much more, um, there's like a lot of constrictions and the whistle's constantly blowing. And if someone steps yeah. off the, you know, onto the court during a fight, it's like they can get suspended and fined and all these things. So it's it's just um, it's just a funny thing that that happened to you during hockey because from my perspective, I, I am uh, uh, for all the listeners out there <laughs> and Eric, I am trying to to sort of engage more with hockey and and come to sports that I don't have a natural uh, love for in a more um, just to 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 find reasons to to watch them and and learn about them. But hockey just hasn't it has not. Um, yeah, it's just it's not doing it for me quite yet. See, it's it's funny because I'm almost opposite. Because <laughs> one of the reasons I like hockey so much is that it is at a at a at a speed that you just can't understand in any other sport, right? Like like the speed is not like you you can't run that fast, right? Right. So like the, yeah. One of the reasons that hockey is like so. I think it's interesting to watch, especially when there's intense things going, you know, like when there's an intensity to like, you have to win to advance or whatever. Um, is that like everything you're watching is happening at like 30 miles per hour sometimes. And it's, and it's like, there's, so there's a certain amount of like grace that happens in, in such a small amount of time that you, that in other sports, like you can see it happen. But right. like even, you know, in hockey, it's like, where's the puck, right? Like, right. <laughs> and also that missing a goal kind of looks the same as making a goal. Yeah. I mean, there's not really any visual differences from when it just everyone is so bulky and like close to each other. It just and then, you know, the cheering looks like anger. It's just all everything kind of looks the same. So, yeah. And yeah. They all wear black pants, too. Right. And it's like that's the same color as the puck. Like, what are are you doing? (laughs) Well, yeah, and the puck could also stand to be, you know, many times bigger in my my opinion. Um, I'm a recent, (laughs) I've recently um, come around to soccer and uh, I think that that's what sort of, I mean, soccer and and hockey had both been sports that were difficult for me to sort of access for a while and now I I find soccer really enjoyable to watch. And I I also have to say that I do appreciate the anticipation and the build-up to every goal that is in hockey and is in soccer where it's like I have had it pointed out to me that, you know, Basketball player, basketball teams score over a hundred points on average uh, <laughs> per night. So it's just it's not at least in the NBA and and um, the, the WNBA they're scoring a lot of baskets all the time. And it just what's what's so exciting about that? They're doing it every time they run down the court rather than maybe once a game or twice a game. So that's sort of I've been I've been uh, sort of schooled that way <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> 
Yeah. And did you play? Um, did you play as a child? I mean, or would you consider yourself uh, competitive? Um, well, competitive. That's uh, not sure. Uh, I <laughs> I played three sports. So um, you need to know that I grew up in a very small town. Uh, so okay. there was no cutting people from the team. And this is important because I played soccer and I held my own in soccer. I was like captain uh, of my team and like went on to like try out for like uh, college teams and things like that. Yeah. But um, so I was pretty accomplished. Like we, we won like a state championship once and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, but but I also played basketball. And I played basketball. I mean, I was like, uh, I was on the bench the whole time. Uh, it was really yeah. bad at basketball. Six man club. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was more like probably like twelve. Got it, <laughs> yeah. Twelve man club. Right. Um. Uh. So. Um. And then and then I ran track. Right. Okay. And, and I did a lot of these things just because it was the only thing to do in a small town, right? Like, was to just do these after-school things. And it's not like there was a lot of options, right? Like, yeah. you could pick between one or two sports, but that was about it. Like, there, it wasn't like there were um, any other um, other outlets. Right. Um, so so a lot of this was just, like, to, to you know, get out of the house or, or stay around my friends for a while. Because I, I also grew up on a, on a farm, so it was like I didn't have neighbors either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so so like this was like my social outlet right. in addition to like you know something that was fun uh, for me. So um, so I did play sports, but it just never um, these those like those sporting experiences. Oddly enough, like like they didn't carry into my art making. Like they came back into like they, they boomeranged back into my mm-hmm. art making. Right, like, like they weren't there when I started making art, and and I, I, you know, very much compartmentalizes like aspects of my being in a way. Um, so, um, so it was, it was when it when it did creep back in in, in grad school. Like I, ha- I already had this built-in vocabulary, except now I was finally looking at it uh, from a from a stem from an analytical standpoint, right? Rather than rather than just being the participant, you know. So. Yes, and I also think as um, an an artist, sometimes it's hard to make. I mean, I wouldn't say from your work that you are saying that sports are are a problem. Uh, and I think sometimes because of the role that sports plays in our in our mainstream culture, it's like, why do we need to be necessarily um, supporting? Sports, sports have all the support that they need. I mean, through the university system, through just you know all the stuff that they're huge money making entities, and uh, just it's it's incredible the amount of 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 sort of money that that works through sports. And so, as an artist, sometimes it's like I feel that um, I don't know how to how to sort of figure out my role. And am I saying that? there's a problem here? Am I saying that, you know, am I showing my admiration for, for whoever or, or whatever situation uh, through sports or what's going on? So I know I f- have felt some, um, some questions about that through my own, through my own work. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, one of the interesting things about sports too is that, uh, and I know this because I, I give a talk on all of this at, at one point in my life, mm-hmm. um, is that uh, the sports as we know it right now actually came 
to be in like the 1860s more or less. So if you look at like the start of like all the big sport leagues, like FIFA, um, I don't know if the NBA, but Major League Baseball, things like that, yeah. like they all came about in like the 1860s, 1870s. And um, uh, they, they came about, you know, so basically the second industrial revolution is going on. We, we uh, Americans have this thing called leisure time for the first time in their lives. So, you know, it used to be that, that if you're on a farm, depending on the weather, you had to do certain things, right? Or depending on, right. like, if, if a cow was sick, you had to do certain things. So, like, you were always on, you were always working, right? right? And then and then the other thing that happens on farms, right, is if your crop is bad, you don't make money, mm-hmm. right? So, so um, with the Industrial Revolution, like, people start to make money at a, at a you know, predictable rate. And they also have this thing called leisure time because while a factory might be bad to work in, when you're done working in that factory, even if it's like you're working 12 hours a day, when you're done, you're done. You have no Right. It's, you're not responsible. Yeah, exactly. It's not your – you don't have to do anything else to make any money. Yeah. So, so, a, lot, so a lot of people, like, turn to playing sports. And that, so this is, like, part of the reason we see this, like, resurgence. Uh, and, and in turning to those sports, uh, people actually, um, uh, like, people start playing these sports on their own, right? Like, independent of leagues, things like that. And if they were organizing anything, they were organizing it as neighbors. They weren't organizing it as leagues, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, factories and, and, like, um, bigger companies, like, see this, and they actually, uh, like, get legislation passed that, like, outlaws the playing of stickball, which is what became baseball, right? Like, they get this, these, these rules passed that, like, actually outlaw that to play it in the streets. And what they do is they sponsor leagues, right? So these leagues then become tangled up with these, like, big companies. Right, yes. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, and people, you know, and if you look at, like, the things that make you a good uh, athlete or a good team member, I should say, are the same things that make you a good factory worker, right? Like mm-hmm. this, this thing where you're like willing to put your body on the line. This thing, this this idea that you're um, part of a team and that that the the um, the uh, accomplishments of the team are far greater than any risk to the individual, right? And like these are all things that, of course, factories love, right? Right. <laughs> yes, especially. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so anyhow, there's there's like you know. I, when when I started working with this stuff, I thought that sports were just these things that like kind of always existed, right? Yeah. Uh, and and it's like you actually look back and you're like, oh wait, wait, no, this is all like within the last 150 years, right? Like what we're talking about, right? Like, which is still, I know that's a long time still, but it's not as long as what I I thought it was. Like even the Olympics, like they came, like the the redo of the Olympics happened in the in like 1860 or 1870s. Wow, yeah. And also, the, I mean, I was just thinking when I watch the Sports Center highlights for the nights, the top 10 highlights, it's always uh, who did the craziest, most riskiest thing with their body. And that's who gets put on there. So who, who you know, ran into the wall to make the, I mean, during baseball season, who ran into the wall, like, without, with, without um, a care in the world to catch the ball? Like, who made this crazy dive? Uh, who just extended their body in such a way that uh, nothing else matters? And those, that's, uh, so it's just also just, like, 
constantly, constantly, sports always comes back to the body and like this value that we place on on what is possible through the body, which is can be this really exhilarating, beautiful, inspiring, fabulous thing to watch. And also this sort of can get really, really tricky when you actually get into the logistics of, of sports uh, and, yeah. and especially sports in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so, okay. Yeah. That's all really great background information. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about your work if we can. Um, so I'm wondering about um, this idea. So you're working with trained athletes or trained performers in some way. So they are, are dancers or uh, gymnasts, um, the hockey players. I'm wondering about this idea of sort of like interrupting their their flow or interrupting this thing that they've done a million times and worked at for several years of their life. And then you come in and you're like, actually, let's totally, let's, <laughs> let's just like, you're just throwing a wrench into it and saying, we're going to try this in a really different way. And I'm just wondering, so you kind of explained at the beginning a little bit about how that impulse built, but I'm wondering if you can sort of elaborate on that. So just thinking, so for, for the listeners, um, Eric had a gymnast do a pommel horse routine underwater with a, a pommel horse that was, it was built for being underwater. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Okay. So do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Piece. Yeah. And it's so, called, um, um, the piece is called, I'm looking for right now, a change of, in, a change in atmosphere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so maybe, uh, maybe what I could do is just rewind just a little bit. Oh, in, yeah, please. In the practice, just to lead, lead up to it a little bit. So, um, you know, uh, so after my little field hockey epiphany, um, <laughs> right. I start making work, <laughs> I start making work about, um, uh, about sports and specifically I start making work about like the participants in sports. And, um, one of the things that really interests me in sports is the vulnerability of, uh, the athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, like you, you, you take away their name, you put a number on them and then you put them out there to, to potentially harm their, harm right. themselves. Right. And a lot of team sports. And so I did, uh, you know, a few things about, about that, um, about like uh, how these athletes are in this vulnerable situation, and I started thinking about like these are all like uh, you know I I was just making objects that the, the the athletes would basically like wear or something like that, and it would kind of point to vulnerability. And what I wanted to do is actually start putting like through the act of playing, I wanted to put the the athlete into this moment of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you flash uh, fast forward a little bit. I make I make a hockey rink uh, that's like twelve foot by eighteen feet. Right. Um, but I, but I have two full teams play in that rink, and um, you know what we see is hockey robbed of all its grace. Right. Like as I said before, there's this like you know certain speed to hockey that makes it makes all the moments like more awesome or more graceful. Right. Yeah. And and so if you take that away, you're basically like like we don't see these people as hockey players necessarily. We see them as individuals in in this kind of caged environment, yeah. <laughs> running into each other and things like that. And there's you know there's humor to that, and there's a little bit of awe because you just don't understand what you're seeing. But what I did in that situation is I I used uh, I, I I come from a sculpture background. Like like when I went to school, I studied sculpture, um, and so. I, I, with the hockey players, I was using form. I was using an installation mm-hmm. to control how they behaved, 
right? Uh, or how they they were able to behave, I should say. And and so what I wanted to do is do the same thing with an athlete, but I wanted to use their environment to restrict them in some some way, to make them vulnerable through their environment, to switch up like what they were used to doing yeah. uh, through their environment. So um, uh, I modeled uh, a, uh, a pummel horse after a a shower chair, basically. Uh, it's the same materials that wow, shower chairs yeah. are made out of. And it's, it's also the same material that um, they, they make um, access chairs for public pools out of. Um, so so I, I made this thing from, like, scratch from that, but I made it to spec, right? So it's all the specs of a pummel horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I recruited uh, a regional champion, uh, Cameron Deer. Uh, I recruited him from uh, Houston. I live in Austin. I should point that out, right. uh, Austin, Texas. But I recruited recruited him. He's like a regional champ in, in pummel horse, and I had him perform his routine underwater. Um, so he was really, you know, this is one amazing thing about working with athletes is that they're into it, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, this is a challenge for them. So, like, it, it's actually been, the shoots have been some of the more easier shoots just because of the athlete's um, willingness to, to kind of challenge themselves. Um so, so Cameron, we, we put him in the water, we film him doing his pummel horse routine, and a pummel horse routine usually lasts like 40 seconds, something like that, 40, yeah. 45 seconds, and this one takes like 8 minutes and 40 seconds, uh, because he has to, in between acts, he has to then resurface to the water, and or resurface to, to air, and, and, you know, get a breath of air, and then go back down to continue performing, um, and... Uh, uh, let's see. Well, it's it's funny because he it actually um, well just I mean I want to get back to your thought, but just to mention that when I was first watching that video, when he first goes down to start his routine, he's doing it for a couple seconds, and I'm thinking in my head, is he going to do this whole thing without getting a breath? Like I I had it in my head that he had somehow trained his body in a way to be underwater for the whole thing, and then he goes up, and I'm like, all right, things are okay, <laughs> you know. So there is there was a there was a few seconds in there when I really. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that there, there was, yeah, it just there was some sus, um, suspension there. Well, and, and like the thing that was so fascinating to me too was that um, he was using almost the exact opposite muscles that he uses for the pummel horse. So even though he's doing the routine, he's right. actually using the opposite things because he's holding himself down. He's, he's buoyant, right? So he's yeah. holding himself down. Whereas usually he's picking himself up against gravity, which is which was a really cool play that that um, was really interesting to watch. I I think it was you know and and with that work too, just, just like the hockey thing, it, it, there were parts where I was like laughing out loud as I, as I was watching it. Not not in a not in a bad way, but like just there were moments that where it was like it it made you laugh, right? Because it, it was so like unlike what you were used to seeing as a viewer of gymnastics. Um, And then there are moments of awe where it's just like, you don't understand the speed you're watching and you you don't like, he's still graceful as he moves through the water. Like he's still pointing his toes throughout that whole routine, which is fascinating to me. And I think there Um, was something quite human about just, I I mean, I, I loved the scenes of him sort of doing his routine on the pummel horse, but actually when he goes back up to and breaks the surface and gets the, the breath that he needs, just seeing his feet kind of kicking and as he's treading water also felt so delicate. 
to me and yeah. very much showing his uh, the this vulnerability of uh, I mean the facts of life of of humans needing air and can't and not being able to just stay underwater yeah. for ridiculous <laughs> amounts of time but that that there was something really um, just lovely about 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 him kind of having to go back back and forth and it was a nice visual. Uh, th- thank you, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, the uh, you, you know on top of that too, it's like when we when I originally set up the shoot with that, we did multiple camera angles with the idea that we might splice everything together. And and I I looked at the first like that first footage and I was like, oh wait, this this is it. Right. <laughs> There's no need to like edit anything. Like this single shot actually has all that humanity in it because like you know had we taken off out those pauses and, and things like that, it, it just would have, um, it would have lacked a little bit of that, like the ability for the viewer to relate to the person, right. Yeah. Or, or at least to relate to the situation of the person. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's great. And, and also to tie in the, the, uh, footage of the, the gymnast faces before they, um, before they do their routines, uh, which I felt was another, one of your works that had this sense of vulnerability and sort of fragility through athletics. I don't know if that's what you were going for with that, but it's just that's also another one that really gets at uh, humanity in a way that I, I feel like the struggle is so there with the hockey players, but it's just seeing like you're not see- seeing necessarily that same sort of sensitivity um, because I just feel like it's like louder or something. There's like this stillness to the, the underwater yeah. scene in the gymnasts. Yeah, um, yeah. The, so the the gymnast video, not the underwater one, but the one where the gymnast uh, it, it focuses on gymnasts as they're awaiting the signal to compete, and sometimes that can be like a thirty second process. And um, that that came from you know uh, watching the Olympics, but again in an analytical kind of way, yeah. <laughs> uh, and just realize like all of a sudden like catching this moment. It wasn't Olympics, it was qualifying, I think is what I was watching, because the footage is actually from the Olympics. Okay. Um, but it was watching, uh, you, you know, watching these, you see this, like, amazing, like, all these flips and things, like, you, things you can't understand. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no way, like, I can have my body relate to that sensation of what they're doing, right? Like, there's, right. I yes. just can't, like, I am so, I am so disconnected from that. Right. Like I like I can't understand that. And that's what makes it like that spectacle is like what's so amazing to kind of kind of watch uh, when you watch gymnastics or whatever. But um, but then, you know, as they're waiting for the signal to run down the the vault or whatever it is that they're doing the thing, they, they have to sit there and wait. And, and you're you're made so aware of of their age. Right, because mm-hmm. most of these competitors are like fourteen or fifteen. You, you're you're kind of made aware of their insecurities in a way. Like a lot of them are have like super heavy makeup on, uh, and, and and all of them, even though they have such a command over their body, uh, while they're performing, right? Like they they are like, and you would never think that nerves would ever come into that. Like when they are waiting to compete, they have this like awkwardness to them. Right, like yeah. that, that doesn't exist in their performance. Like their performance is perfect. Like even if they fall, it's like it's such a feat to see like what they're doing, 
right? That that it has no room for uh, vulnerability. But then, but then when you see them waiting to compete, it that they're not in their natural element mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. And it and it's such a you know it's such a relatable moment, right? Because that's that's where the viewer is mirrored in that. The viewer can't mirror themselves to the flips. Right, right, <laughs> not at they all. They can mirror themselves to to the waiting. And and that's you know? that's so much about the routine too. What they're used to. They're I mean that's that's what what they know. It seems that that's what they know to react to when they do this uh, move and then this trick and then this move and, and they're sort of building off of that and that's how what they can respond to. But when they're just standing there, it's there's nothing to do but sort of just stand there. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. which is so interesting. And also there were some moments in that in that segment where I felt like all of a sudden they knew they were being watched and they might sort of perk up a little bit or arch their back or kind of um, just change positions and then they would just quickly then go back to sort of just yeah. looking so yeah. – uh, I don't think – I'm not sure what the right – I mean I have no idea what any of these gymnasts were thinking when this was happening, but it's just – it was pretty um, sort of – yeah, just just poignant, and and yeah, I think the age plays such a, a role in kind of feeling sensitive to that. That that many of the, especially the women, um, are, appear so young, and yet so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just there's there's a lot of different feelings there. Yeah. Yeah, and so how did you get that all that footage? Once you started noticing it, how did you collect it? Oh, I. Um... I, I like recorded all the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, lucky, luckily I had a, um, a fellowship, uh, that came like a monetary fellowship come through at the same time. And I was able to get like equipment to, I was, I was able to get cable and equipment to like actually record the whole Olympics. So, um, uh, yeah. And then, and then, uh, you know, it's one of those things when you see it, you see it like you see it over and over again. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's like you think of like Christian Markley's like clock piece. Right. I'm yeah. sure that when he was editing that thing together, every time he watched a movie and saw a clock, he, he made like a mental note of it. Right. And that's, that's exactly how. Right. Yeah. He just <laughs> I, saw only clocks for however long. Yeah. I mean, that was like yeah, the thing right? that stood out more than ever. Exactly. Yeah. No, I like hallucinate basketball nets, so I definitely uh, understand that. Um, and did you? How did you? Um, oh, so what? What I wanted to say was also that it's so interesting because when I was young, I, I used to do gymnastics, and I also that was my favorite part of the Summer Olympics was watching the the, the female gymnasts and uh, seeing this other side of it is so, so strange, just kind of idolizing them and thinking that they really, you know, were very, very pulled together, which, which they are, but also seeing this very sort of, uh, I don't want to say sad and I don't want to say reflective and I just don't know what word it is, which I think is actually pretty amazing that I can't describe what word that, that footage kind of embodies, but it's so, it's so, uh, it's so something. It's so something. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. And I think it'll be hard to now watch any uh, gymnastics without sort of zeroing in on that, too, for me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of humanizing, right? Like, it's like <laughs> every time I've ever seen a celebrity, the first thing I think is like, oh, you're, you're short, you know? Like, sure, yeah. Not, <laughs> not because, not because 
like that was like something I was thinking actively about. But just because you have this like larger than life, like you have this disconnect between, you know, like this this awe inspiring thing that you see, and then but then realizing that that that's coming from a human, like yeah. that's coming from a human being. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, that was yeah, that was just great. Um, and also just this, I was interested in the. Um, Sort of this. So you have these floor planks that you represented from a, a dance floor that that uh, a performance had taken place on over and over again. And I am really interested in your uh, inclusion of objects in your work, both found and sort of materially as a sculptor. You're making your own. Like the the hockey rink is also an object, and the pummel horse is also an object that you create. But the the idea of a, a found object as a as a piece to sort of complement something else how that how that plays into the the other work yeah uh that that's that's kind of like a newer uh direction in my work and um but it relates to uh again my background in in objects in in object making um so when when you work in sculpture um you have you have form right like that's one thing you have uh context um, and then sometimes tied into that would be materiality. Yeah. And all of those things can like come together to, to, you know, enrich an object. And, um, so the thing that I'm most interested in, uh, is, uh, there's, you know, the materiality I'm, I'm pretty interested in. I'm not interested in form because those that the form is actually derived from whatever I'm working with or lo- looking at, right? To, yeah. Or, or trying to make, right? Um, but I am interested in uh, in materiality and context, and, and sometimes those go together. So uh, when I made uh, the the floor planks were uh, to complement a two channel video that saw two competitor, uh, excuse me two competitive dancers um, dancing their routines without each other, right? So, it, so it's, it's the male dancer on one side, the female dancer on the other side mm-hmm. of the room, and, and it's synced together so it looks like they're dancing, but you see these gaps in their performance because they can't, uh, you know, interact with one another. Right. Um, and, and so I wanted to, like, ground that materially. Like, everything else I had done to this point had had a, a pummel horse and it had a hockey rink, right? Yeah. It had this like material grounding to it and this object grounding. And, um, so I, so I, I didn't know what to do because it wasn't something that was necessary for the video. And then, um, and then I, I heard this, uh, radio show about how Texas dance halls are being torn down at like a super alarming rate. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, once I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness, like, like, this is what I'm talking about. This is a material that holds all the power of dance, right? Right, because, like, that's yes, where exactly. Someone is dancing. And I was like, I can take this material and using the narrative in the context of that material, I can have that be the physical presence that, that accompanies the video. Um, so, you know, uh, when I, when I work with videos, when I work with videos or when I work with, with, um, with uh with objects like i'm always looking for something that has a moment of awe like something that you can't immediately categorize and so by using those those planks of wood 
right? Like, okay, they're planks of wood, yeah. But they also have these, like, compositions, right? By framing them, putting mm-hmm. them on the wall, they have these, like, compositions that they have that are completely made through an act, right? And and, and so I, I really like that, that idea of mark-making, especially mark-making over a course of a century, which is what most of the dance halls are yeah. uh, around the area. So, um, you know, I and, and I also got something that was, like, locally significant. It was from a dance hall that, uh, a lot of people had known in the region. Um, so anyhow, those were really, a really fun thing, but like it's like to do with that project, but it's also something that like kind of opened up a lot, a lot. Cause I'm, I'm very interested in a object's relationship to a narrative. Mm-hmm. So like when I made the pommel horse, it's not like I just made it for the video and it was done. That gets displayed with the pommel horse. And it's kind of like, like sculpture is one of these things that exists in the same space that human beings exist in, right? Like they take up space. Right. Uh, and, and that's something you have to experience like that. That's always like part of your experience. And, and so, um, so I wanted to ground that video, which is something that you can distance yourself from, right? Because it's not like these people are dancing around you and they're dancing in front of you. Right. It's something yeah. that's captured. So um, I wanted to kind of ground the space by using, these objects and, and you know I've done that a lot of times so you know the hockey rink gets displayed with the hockey video the you know the pommel horse gets displayed with the pommel horse video things like that yeah that's so interesting I, I mean the, the wood just very much resonates because it's just sort of a it's one of a kind so even though it is just a piece of wood it's like there's no other piece of wood in the world that holds that same information yeah right and yeah. both from the actual wood what the wood arrives at the dance hall as materially what it's made of and then also at the same time what we get to add to it and it's this such a fantastic uh, i mean i'm a big um object uh, oriented person but it's this amazing collaboration that happens where the wood uh and the the as as an example, in this case, the wood is changing and like the people who are se- sort of stepping on the wood, they might not be changing physically, but that's also part of who they are now as well. That place that they've been and spent time and sort of the emotions that they've had there. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's really, um, uh, yeah. Sorry, keep going. No, no. I, was, I, was like, I said totally and I was like, Oh, that's that's some dead air right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, totally um, is is fine. And I mean, I just, I just, it's so it's hard for me to, I, yeah. I'm just having all these thoughts about the the value that just things that can that sort of pick up information about us all the time, and that they just often um, yeah. are not see, are seen as mundane or or uh, um not useful once they have you can't sort of physically do something to them anymore but uh so it just it's just really um i like this idea of of spending time with those objects yeah yeah um and also this so you've also recreated objects so besides the the found stuff you've also worked with the uh you've created your own versions of football helmets and uniforms yeah, cor- correct. Um, so uh, with with those objects that I've made, um, some of them were in a way that like suggested a narrative, right? Like so the so the football helmets that you reference are these conjoined football helmets or conjoined with the face mask. Um, so I you know I digitally scan this a face mask from a helmet and then 
uh, printed it out as one piece, like after I kind of mashed it together. Yeah. Um, and and then um, and then and then there's other ones where I've where I've taken like crumpled uniforms and and kind of scanned them and reproduced them uh, in different materials. And a lot of that is like again trying to get to that awe of like not you know it's like it's it's a shift when you take something familiar and you reframe it in some sort of way. There's this there's this shift that happens in recognition, right? And that's like what I try and do with the videos. You know, uh, that's what I try to do with the with the objects too. Uh, is, is trying just kind of change our recognition of that object in, in a way to like service this. Um, I don't know, it's like serve this way of uh, to, to kind of contemplate the object a little bit more than what you would if you just picked up a football helmet. You know? Right. And, and, and what made you decide to make them uh, transparent, the, the football helmets? Oh, cool. So, so yeah, sorry. That was, that's a, that's a, <laughs> I've worked with football helmets twice. Um, okay. So uh, with the transparent football helmets, um, that was actually one of the first, projects where I made an object and then used it in some sort of image uh, with an athlete. Mm -hmm. So with, with that, with that football helmet, I, um, I, with that series, I made a series of sports uniforms and I used plexiglass uh, to create the hard moments of equipment. And then I used uh, clear vinyl to create all the, like the fabric moments. Okay. And I, I took, I took those, and then I, I I actually got real athletes to wear them. So so the the person that you see wearing the football uniform is, was actually an arena football player. Uh, is, is that it? It's like the indoor football. Yeah, league, yeah, yeah. The arena. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, and the and the baseball player was actually uh, in the minor leagues and, and things like that. So um, so uh, with those, what I wanted to do that was that was early in my exploration of, of sports. Uh, and um, so with that, I wanted to like really highlight the vulnerability of the individual rather, mm-hmm. you know, so when, when you're, there's a lot of power that comes from being part of a team and there's a lot of power that comes from wearing pads, right. And helmets and things that can hurt people. <laughs> right. Uh, and kind of protect, and, very much protect you. You know, you can feel yeah, like yeah. you can sort of operate differently than you normally would. Yeah. And, and so, so using that, though, I wanted to um, kind of strip all those moments of power away and basically show the individual. And by do- showing the individual and, and divorcing the individual from a team context, um, and then also by showing them nude underneath the see-through uniforms, then there's, um, you know, I've introduced like this moment of vulner- vulnerability. Yeah. You know, if you, sh- if you see nakedness as, a, as something that, that induces vulnerability right. so um so you know that that was kind of like the plan with that with that work um but but then the, the objects themselves are so you know ju- just like the pummel horse in the video like you know i had these photographs of these athletes wearing these things but then i also wanted to show the objects as themselves because it, it, they they shift something that's familiar and and, and you know, as an object, it has a certain presence and, and a certain power that the photographs just can't have. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, I wanted to kind of um, use that. And that, you know, that was also very early in this process of me figuring out how to do these big scale <laughs> uh, work with athletes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, part of that was like figuring out 
how do I how do I make a show from this, right? Like I have these images, I have these right. objects. How, how can I make them work together and, and things like that? But it kind of set up a a way of working that that has kind of traveled through my practice since. Yeah. Awesome. So that kind of takes. So I'm I'm trying to think. Yeah. So I'm just moving into. I want to talk about day labor football, another one of your pieces. And I'm just wondering, so I'm wondering, I am a white woman. And when I'm operating in the space of basketball, I'm, I am um, aware of the fact that it's not mostly white women that play basketball. And that mm-hmm. sort of informs how I go about uh, researching and collecting information and, and how I want to speak about about the sport and who plays the sport and what the sport might mean to to uh, me as a observer versus someone who who plays and what basketball can mean to people from different parts of the of the country or the world um, and so it's that's a really important or has become an important part of working through basketball as subject matter is to be very aware of of who I am and what I what lens I'm I'm looking at it through and I'm wondering how that works how that has worked for you when you're when you are approaching sports that are maybe played by a people of a, a race that you are not you do not belong to yeah so uh, that is a really good question so um, let me I'm gonna try and break down uh, a little bit by first of all talking about like the way that I work now versus how I used to work. And I think, mm-hmm. I think this might be helpful is that yeah. now, um, now I don't, um, I, I don't have, uh, I'm not purposely using race in any of my works at this point. And part of that is because I've gotten away from individual uh, vulnerabilities in my work. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking more about, this expectation of how something should go versus how it is going, especially when you take something, when you put something into that formula that, you know, like, like, I don't know, a swimming pool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You right. Know, in it. Uh, it's not so much about um, race or anything like that, but it's about this like very, very um, kind of human situation of trying to perform something in, 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 in a situation that you're uncomfortable in and, and things yeah. like that. So, um, so, so I think that's a good place to start uh, because um, because now as I rewind, I want to just keep a keep in mind too as uh, like when we're talking about for some of these pieces. So, so you brought up uh, day labor football, mm-hmm. which is um, basically just to summarize that piece. I, I hired um, I hired illegal immigrants to play a soccer game, and then at the end of the game. Everybody was paid uh, by the by the referee, and the referee was, uh, you know, a citizen and a very white-looking man. Um, and uh, it's a piece that I did in 2007, so I think we need to bring that up because there's a lot of context that happened around that time. Sure. Yes. Um, so, <clears throat> 2007, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and. Uh, the other person that lived in Phoenix, Arizona, was Joe Ar- Arpile, and he was kind oh, of like that his, guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, he's at his uh, kind of um, heyday in terms of discrimination, and, and uh, you know, this is this is a few years before he 
was eventually found in contempt of court or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the, the thing was that, that finally got him to stop being yeah. an asshole. Um, <laughs> or like or to least, stop being, least, <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. sure if it stopped it a, that, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, 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 he, he went from an asshole in public to being an asshole behind bars. Right. Or like uh, he <laughs> had was an asshole with power versus like not having as much power now. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so, you know, right now we have this very, very like racially charged uh, um, America, right? Yes. And it's it's something that is affecting the whole country. I mean, like you can't like open up your your news feed on your phone without seeing something about the border or, or something along those lines. But mm-hmm. in Phoenix, we had that we had the same things happening, but they were happening on a local scale. Right. So imagine this not necessarily being like a, a really big uh, thing outside of, of Phoenix. And this is something that I, I found so, uh, so compelling from, from one stance. And then, and then the other thing, too, is that Phoenix is the first like real city I lived in. Again, I, I grew up in a really small town. I went to college in another rural town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. undergrad. And, yeah. and then and then. And then, so I go to grad school. I'm in Phoenix, which is, you know, like at the time, like the sixth largest city in the United States, and it's a, and it's you know more or less a border city uh, uh-huh. uh, for all intents and purposes. So there are a lot of weird things that I found in in, in the city, and one of these things was uh, was day laborers, right? So like you would go to uh, you could go to Home Depot, and there's this absurd thing where you could hire a person the same way that you would buy a piece of wood right yeah. and and the, the the thing that the thing that uh made this possible was this impossible situation that these participants were in right so like so if you were hiring a day laborer they're most likely an illegal immigrant and they had no legal rights to work in the United States so the only way that they could work is to uh take jobs that were under the table mm-hmm. But also, and as a result, they're taking unregulated jobs. So, so there are a lot of things that were happening uh, to people um, that were in that situation. So, you know, one thing that could happen is you could literally work hard labor all day, and then people would, and, and this would happen. People would be like, "Well, I'm I'm not going to pay you. I'm just not going to turn you in to immigration services." Wow. Right. Like th- this is something that literally would happen. And because you have someone like Joe Arpaio and then people that like back him, right? And this is okay because they're dehumanizing these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the other thing that can happen too is like people would literally like do these things on their own. They would like go on these things by themselves, pick up uh, day laborers, and then just literally drive to an immigration enforcement area. Wow. Uh, and, and it was, I mean, and, and, you know, and these are, these are things that were like, you know, like Joe Arpaio loved this type of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so, so <laughs> it was very much just a smaller version of some of the, you know, policies that we're seeing now on a national scale uh, that were happening in Phoenix at, at the time. So, um, at, you know, at first I was drawn to this, just a, this absurdity that you could like hire someone in the same way that you could buy a material, right? Like, that's, that's such a sad kind of thing. So so I I wanted to play with both that absurdity 
and I wanted to also play uh, with the vulnerability a little bit. So, so one of the things that made these people vulnerable was the fact that they were asked to work, right? And that work could be um, risky from a number of standpoints, be it the actual job that they're doing. Uh, you know, another thing, too, if they were hurt on the job, they were just driven back to their, their spot like because yeah. there's no recourse for them. And, and so, um, so I wanted to kind of, like, cancel that out a little bit by, like, introducing this moment of play. Um, and, and so now we get into like what I think my role as an artist is. And, and, uh, one of the things that I think an artist, uh, should and and can do is, is they have this responsibility to reflect the world around them. Right. So this is the world that I was in at the time Mm -hmm. was like this thing that I was seeing. And, and by, and so I wanted to recreate that world. And even though it was like, you know, perhaps not the most pleasant thing to recreate. Like, like it was important for me to like show those vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so that's where the rest came in. So, so at the time I had devised, you know, all these roles that athletes and sports people play. So, I'm at, so a ref is the authoritative figure, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the athlete is this willing participant that knows that the system that they're in is not necessarily fair to them, but they still participate, right? Because they have to sometimes, right? Uh, and and so I wanted to like put uh, people in those roles. So like so we, sh- you know, we uh, hired uh, these people. We we shot um, the thing, and then at the end they were paid. And even the, the payment, you know, obviously I wanted to pay them for their time because I was taking them away from other potential jobs. Right. But, yeah. But also. But also that payment was such an important part of it too, because that was a true and accurate reflection. So imagine the ref and the ref is the person who paid them. So like, you know, that ref in that situation takes on all those roles that, that, you know, society in a way we're taking on mm-hmm. where, where it's like, Hey, you guys play, but I'm going to tell you how to play. And then at the end, if you play by my rules, you get, you get paid. Right. Right. So I, I, I wanted to like accurately reflect that. And, and I think that's, that's my role. Right. Like there, there are artists that, you know, like Hank Willis Thomas or Ai Weiwei that like kind of live through the other end of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they, they make work that is very, very powerful as a result. Like I, I feel like I can't make work like that, mm-hmm. but this is, this is the way that I can, I can kind of address these, these things is to like accurately uh, represent what's there in, in all its nuances too. Right. And was that something that also when for the piece, um, round, is that mm-hmm. the name of the piece? Was that also something that yeah. crossed yeah. over there? Like, was that, cause I, the first thing when I was, um, watching that piece or saw the still from it immediately, I was thinking, Oh, the, the boxer is black and the, the ref is white. And, and that was immediately what stood out for me. And the ref is, is the, the ref, yeah, like you said, is traditionally this position of, of authority and gets to say what's right and what's wrong. Um, and yeah, so yeah. just wondering about how that also played into to that piece as well. Yeah, so so that piece, just to give context, uh, yeah. that's like uh, three years later, uh, it's 2010, I, I had since moved to Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Uh, Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. It's a, it's a weird place. So uh, 60, 60% of the population is African-American, but you would never, depending on what neighborhood you're in, you would never know that, 
Like you would literally, you could literally go a day or two without seeing anybody that was African American. And wow. I and I taught at a university there, and it, you know that was even worse uh, in terms of uh, its lack of diversity. Uh-huh. Um, so so when I moved to Richmond, this was like something that was very striking. The other thing about Richmond too is that <laughs> there. So Richmond was the capital of the South during the. Like it was the capital of the Confederacy, right? During the yes, Civil War. I've been to a, and, um, something or other for that there. A yeah, museum well, about a it. Museum dedicated to it. And yeah. what's fascinating about the museum is that it is one hundred percent privately funded. So, wow. so not only is there a museum there, right? So you can you can argue the merits of like keeping keeping um, uh, uh, keeping this this uh, historical perspective on things, right? Mm-hmm. By having the museum, but but the weird part is that it's like hundred percent is like privately funded. Yeah. So that means that there's enough people that care about this, and 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 you know, I'm not I'm not going to like project motives on that caring, but it's like one of you know one of the conclusions you have is like wait why like how how does this sustain itself? Right, like right. by being privately funded. Like, well, can't they fit all the like, Confederate statues that are still up there? Can they fit them in that museum? Maybe. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Well, that's the that's the other that's the other you know fascinating thing about Richmond is that you know you <laughs> we used to joke. I mean, that like Richmond is a city uh, when you walk through Richmond, um, it's kind of like. Uh, it's kind of like they don't know that the South lost, right? Because there's all these memorials. I mean, there's literally a whole, like, mile-long stretch of just every block seeing a giant memorial to somebody mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, fighting on the Confederacy. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of other things that, that go along in all, all these routes. But just, anyhow, it's a, it's very, um, it's, it's a fascinating place because it's it's very segregated, and it's also there's a there's a segre- like a segregated like mentality as well, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and that's kind of just built into the culture there. Like like the, also where all those monuments are, it's also one of the more wealthier parts of the city, right? So like keep keep that in mind too. Right. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, to to talk about rounds, right? Like um, like any other art practice. I, I, when I make things like this, there are things that come up that change the course of how the project gets made, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, imagine if you're working in sculpture and you accidentally are carving something and you make a weird mark and you're like, hey, let's see what that mark looks like, right? Like, if we, if we translate it this way or that way. Um, the same thing happened with that video. So, the, the video, I just wanted to make, at first, I just wanted to make uh, a video that, had a, a boxer, right, being obstructed, but he's trying to eat a meal, uh, wearing his gloves and wearing his mouth guard. Yeah, right? like that—that's what's happening in the in the video. And then there's a ref that serves him, and then a ref that eventually breaks him up from eating that meal. And you know, it's supposed to be this like, like that's what I wanted to focus on was just like that vulnerability of that individual. But when I casted, it, like, just like oddly enough, like like the most built of the, of the people that responded was African American and then the the person that like kind of looked like a ref mm-hmm. was white and and 
so it, it was one of those things where like you have this happen and it like clicks and you're like, Oh my, Oh my God, this is a reflection of the city as well. Right. right. Like, and then, you know, going back to like previous comments about like that, like responsibility to like reflect what's around you. Right. Yes, and yes. Especially since the casting even worked, like the fact that it was casted, cast from like local people, right. Like these weren't people I brought in. These are people like just put an ad up for to like, kind of like play these roles. Yeah. Like the fact that it came from the city itself, was like really interesting to me as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it really, it, it seemed very, um, I, I, watching it, that was the first thing that um, I noticed was like the, the, the white person as an obstruction, the white body as an obstruction, um, mm-hmm. which is so, yeah. wow. uh, I yeah. mean, poign- poignant, um, if, uh, I mean, that this is a, a poignant point, like, for forever um unfortunately and so i think that um that just i think it's so so difficult i mean you cannot remove it's so hard i feel to remove bodies from from the power of sports of course if we're if we're entertained by and in awe of what they what they can do it's also like we we can't separate them for how from how they look and um yeah that's just that was so uh, interesting even though it's thematically like very similar to the gymnast on the the pummel horse it's still just like with that with the two bodies and the working against each other becomes so fraught yeah and so and and i do feel the that for some reason for me the 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 gymnast on the pummel horse that his race is not it's not as important. It's not standing out to me as much. And I think that maybe is because of the water, because of this environment that, yeah, I'm just not sure. It's really, it's very interesting. Yeah. Thanks for uh, putting all these thoughts in my head <laughs> through your work. Uh, <laughs> Truly. Really... Well, right, right back at you. I really, really love that, that thing you just said about like the fact that he's obstructed by the white body, like, which is, you know, I scripted that thing, right? So yeah. I knew what was going to happen. So in a way, it's like I, I never get to like step back and just see what's happening, right? Like, because to me, it's like he's obstructed by an act. But you're you're right; he's like literally physically obstructed by the body in that situation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I I feel like we have covered many of the things that I wanted to cover, and really just. Have such a better understanding of where you're, how you're approaching uh, what you make and why you make it, which is so great. So, do you have do you have any? Um, oh, do you have anything that you want? Do you have anything upcoming or anything you'd like to to share about you know any way that like listeners can can find you or anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, so obviously, there's my, there's my website. Uh, that you can go to, which is REricMcMaster.com. Right. Um, the R stands for my first name. It's not just like a pirate noise that I make before, right. <laughs> before my name. I know I wasn't um, sure if I was supposed to call you R or Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Eric is definitely fine. Great. Um, but, uh, yeah, so REricMcMaster.com. And then, um, you know, I, I have shows coming up. Um, but the one I'm most uh, excited about will be one that will be at Blue Star Contemporary in um, in San Antonio. Okay. Uh, I, I, I believe it's going to open uh, in early February. And I, I, I believe the title of the show is going to be Effort Efficiency. And it's myself and about uh, four or five other artists, all of which use 
the body, they use dance, they use choreography, uh, all as, as a means of making artwork. And, I, and I'm really excited about the show. Yeah, and, that sounds and great. Artists, the artists that are involved, uh, like it's going to be a really good show. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, it, it looks like it might have some basketball pieces in it okay. that will be really exciting. <laughs> and, and yeah, so, <laughs> so maybe if you get a chance to go to San Antonio, uh, that will be open. It's open for, you know, it's a, it's a good show. It's, a, it's open for like three or four months. So, okay. um, it should be a really, really, uh, interesting show that I'm, I'm really excited to participate in. Great. Yeah. Well, well, I'll definitely, um, include that and yeah i would love to to try and try and make it out there always trying to travel for sports just trying to get someone to pay me to do it so (laughs) that's the goal um yeah but and i also i mean i i i I, my heart will always belong to basketball but i'm totally ready to to try and like other sports um and football is making it so hard right now because of I don't know, so many different reasons between just brain damage and um, just awful owners. Uh, Not to say that there's not issues in the NBA as well, but um, anyways, um, I will see what I can do with hockey (laughs) Uh, because I think it's really important to know uh, how all these sports sort of interact with each other and and each of their own uh, histories and and how they kind of uh, reflect the, the history of the United States, I would say, or or the, their country of origin, or yeah. I mean, I guess basketball is invented by a Canadian, but in the United States, so <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I uh, someone once once said that like sports are just a microcosm of society, right? Right, like, exactly. Like it, it's all it's all there. It's just it's just kind of put really bluntly, right? And it's like right in right in front of you, and you're confronted by that, and it, and especially when we. When we see all the politics surrounding the NFL now and things like that, it's like one of these moments where like you become very, very aware of like of like how all these things can play out in, in something that you know originally started as something that was just supposed to be fun, right? Yes, and, and also just oh yeah, just as you were referencing the stickball being sort of outlawed by the factory. I mean, just like laws mm-hmm. and money that goes to build build arenas and stadiums and all of that is just. It's all just wrapped up together. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Well, th- thank you very much. And uh, I'm really, really excited to, to hear how this comes out. Uh, and excited that, that we were able to talk and um, also that, that, that you thought of me. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this was great. Thanks so much to Eric for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts with me. And thanks to you, the audience, for listening. Please subscribe to Dear Adam Silver and consider sharing it with your art and sports-minded friends and family. I'm currently in the process of relocating to Tucson, Arizona, which is very exciting, but has been difficult for me to publish podcasts regularly in the meantime. As soon as I am settled there, weekly episodes will be put out, and I hope you all will be listening. Thanks so much. See you next time.